Hi, audience, and welcome back to another episode of Safety with Purpose. I'm your host, Tamara Paris, for this episode. I'm really excited because we're going to be changing it up and we're going to do a collaborative podcast. What does that mean? Well, I'll do the big reveal in just a second. But first, I wanted to introduce our guests, Jason Lucas, and you might know him as part of the LinkedIn Safety Justice League or that safety video guy on TikTok. But we know and love Jason best as a safety manager. Yes, he does have a day job, and he's the company safety manager at Title Tanks. Now for the big reveal. Joining me today is the host of The X Factor of Safety, Pedro Maciel. Welcome, Pedro. Hi, I'm Pedro Maciel from the X Factor Safety Podcast. This is pretty exciting. I'm just going to uh, kick off the discussion. How did you guys become so passionate in health and safety? Because like, you've taken it to a next level. Uh, well, I started in safety and been in it for about 10 years. So about 2008, um, working in the refineries, originally from Houston, Texas. And I just grew a passion uh, for safety and being in the profession over the years, uh, having some ups and downs. And being able to, one, learn, but two, the greatest value I got was giving back to others. And that is where this stems from, is being able to bring value to, to whoever I come across and, and being able to bring some sort of value, uh, whether it's a coaching opportunity, uh, uh, a learning opportunity, training opportunity. It's, it's what I'm very passionate about. Yeah, and I, I have to say that, that Pedro is one of the most uh, edifying people on LinkedIn and around. He is, he's always supporting other people's posts. He's always adding value to their posts with comments. So, you know, and I, I feel like a super guest because I'm on two podcasts at once. So uh, that's pretty cool. Um, how, how did I get passionate about safety? Um, you know, I've told, I've told the story on, on a couple of different podcasts, but I had a friend of mine who, who fell from a structure in a harness and he did not like uh, keeping his leg straps very tight. And one of the leg straps went to a, a very uncomfortable place and uh, made him half the man he was before. Um, so the, <laughs> the scream that came from that, that uh, incident really kind of drove me to get out of project management and get into safety. And fortunately I was at a company that was willing to give me that shot. Uh, so instead of running turnarounds and running major projects, I was able to roll full time into safety pretty much right away. Uh, and then I had to learn how to not be a safety cop and uh, learn how to be a safety coach and then slowly revolve that into being a, a safety mentor. My road to safety is a little bit different in that um, I was actually a social worker before and I have a degree holding social worker and I spent a lot of my uh, starting years of working helping homeless people and um, families who were immigrating to the Toronto area kind of get settled in Toronto and I never knew anything about this health and safety thing. I actually worked, this is scary, for 35 years, I worked without knowing anything about health and safety. And it wasn't until I had actually gone to a tropical island, Rotan, and I was doing um, a budget internet cafe down there. 
and two islanders they wanted to start putting satellites up on people's houses to has as, as a business so i knew about business so i was like oh yeah i can help you with that and so the very first house that we went to we had our ladders and we knew nothing and of course we're putting the ladders up like lay people do right you got a ladder you put it on the side of a house what's the big deal and uh no tie off no fall protection nothing like we were a health and safety manager's nightmare right there in your backyard okay <laughs> and this guy comes out and he's like oh no not in my house no no and he started training us about ladder safety and health and safety and he was actually a safety manager for one of the construction <laughs> sites on the tropical island and so that was my very first time understanding that there was some accountability in business for making sure that we provide a safe environment for workers. Yeah. What, what a, what a chance, uh, happenstance to end up at that guy's house. Yeah. And then he's out, there. <laughs> you know, it's hard for us as safety people as a whole to, to, to look away. But when it's something's being happened, like being done to your own home, uh, you, <laughs> I think it'd be hard for us not to get out there and do something about it. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, you said you, you were doing social work. Then all of a sudden you had the opportunity to get into, you know, something else, helping another business out. And that's how you transition into safety. Uh, you know, a lot of times we, you know, we do certain things in our trade that's uh, kind of specific. And we don't look at other trades and where they can learn from, you know, cross training and, and being able to, to find the good and the bad on both sides of the fence. And I think that's really incredible. Yeah. The cool, the cool part about that Pedro is that the, the whole genesis of the social media safety minute content that I started doing wasn't for safety people. It wasn't for people that work in refineries or plants. It was for all the other people that are on LinkedIn. So it was a way to try to put safety in bite-sized pieces to, but simplifying it in a way that, that anybody could understand. And I think that sometimes uh, people might look at my content as, as hokey or, or a little uh, 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 safety light. And it's, it's, it's purposeful that it's safety light uh, so that, that people that aren't regularly dealing with safety can, can maybe take a look at something in a different way and help them out in the long run. Oh, and that's so great to hear you say that because um, it, it's, it's great that you're taking more of a public awareness and increasing because um, I mentioned this to Pedro and I'll, and I'll be very transparent about it. One of my pet peeves right now is how people are putting on these videos where people get hurt. And then the immediate reaction is for everybody to say how much of an idiot the worker is. And yeah. the reason I get frustrated was because I was one of those idiot workers. For a long time in my life, I didn't know health and safety existed. So I could have been on one of those videos doing something, not because I wanted to be unsafe, not because I was choosing to ignore safety rules, but yeah. because nobody in the workplace was talking about safety. It wasn't a discussion. And so I wasn't aware that it was existing. No, and you're to you're totally right. Uh, you know, there was there's been times where I see some of those videos, and they're they're really cringing videos because yeah. somebody had to get hurt, 
and you know in order to one the standards that we use both you know around the world and here in the united states but you know somebody's life is now jeopardized and we're putting it on on social media and using it you know one as kind of getting a quick laugh and you know being able to to portray that instead of you know pinpointing out what went wrong and trying to figure out how to correct it so it doesn't happen again um you know, I, I've been subjected to, to a couple of injuries myself. I wasn't always a safety guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know exactly, you know, what, what that what that means to be in one of those videos. Yeah, and I, I think that one of the biggest um, – I agree that the, those things are pretty cringeworthy. I, I do believe that a lot of people utilize them in, in a better manner and during safety trainings and things like that to, to, you know, ease the tension a little bit in the room. Uh, and then utilize that to, to teach based upon how we can learn from this type of thing. I think uploading them on uh, social media can also be a teaching moment if handled properly. I think that we're struggling in the safety industry as a whole, um, not just on social media, but it, it, as a whole in this idea of, of a worker um, somehow chose uh, to get hurt. And I've never ever and i've been in this industry for over 20 years i've never met a worker that was like you know what today would be a great day to get hurt and i'm going to make decisions that are going to make sure that that happens before i go home today somehow i'm going to get an injury because i want to sit at the house and be hurt it just doesn't happen there's there's a there's a problem in the process there's a problem in in the in the work that they're performing maybe they don't know the safe way to do it or maybe the company hasn't put a safe thing in place to do it a safe way um, but I think that's what we really need to focus on is the, uh, is, is the work being performed versus the person that's performing. And just to build on that, Jason, also from my own experience is, um, to start with, I know in the environment in retail where I was, they're marginalized workers. They don't have benefits. So if they're not at work, they're not making money. So they, you're absolutely dead right. They don't want to be hurt because they can't provide for their families. And the other thing, though, which was very disturbing to me when I went back to one place just recently, is I noticed somebody was on the, because uh, I come from grocery retail, so I noticed somebody was on a, um, a blade equipment, a slicer, um, and they had a bandage on their finger. And I, I, I brought the person over and I started chatting with them lightly. And they had sliced their finger. So they shouldn't even be on the slicer in the first place. Yeah. And so I started, I, I started asking, I was like, that must be really hard to be on the slicer just short after having an accident like this. And it's not just because of the physical injury that they, they have an open wound around food, but also psychologically. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the fear of, of having that um, same sort of accident you need to work through that. And I started to talk to the worker and she did not want to be on the slicer, but she was quite clearly told if she wasn't, then she wouldn't be getting hours. So, oh, wow. you know, step it back a little bit and find out what situation is the worker being put in? Is there more yeah. to going on than just what you're seeing on a video screen? You, you don't know where where that person stands and i think that's something we need to be doing with all incidents is is taking that time to communicate well and and try to get a true understanding of where they were at mentally before after and during 
the incident itself. Yeah, and understanding the behaviors, um, you know, why she ended up getting hurt, what was she doing, or like Jason said, thinking about um, before she got injured. Maybe she, something happened at home that she wasn't 100% focused. And, you know, we're sometimes we're quick to um, see what's on the, on the front side of it. But like you said, finding that backstory and understanding all the behaviors that led up to the injury and seeing how we can, one, help her out and figure out, okay, well, you were thinking about X, Y, and Z, um, but let's dig a little deeper and see the behaviors. How many times has she came close and it just hasn't nicked her that she was also yeah. thinking about stuff. So learning those behaviors, that the human behavior is definitely key to, to preventing a lot of these injuries that are happening in these days. And I would even challenge and step it back even further. You know, when you, I went to school for health and safety. I don't know what your background is, but it was very clearly put into our education that the first phase is elimination through design. Mm -hmm. So why is this not happening? Why are we seeing repeatedly so many things that if somebody was to eliminate through design, like the slicer has a guard on it. And when I started to investigate a little bit further, I learned that the guard had been taken off. So here's something, maybe she wouldn't have cut her finger if the equipment guard was on. And she no. wasn't forced to use a piece of equipment which wasn't set up properly. Yeah. Just a thought, Absolutely. like how is that worker behavior? It's not. It's management pulling their line that if they see a piece of equipment's not up to par, doing something about it. And in, in different environments, the doing something about it is going to be different. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I agree. And then, you know, from that human behavior, it, goes, it stems all the way, not just the worker's human behavior, but what did the supervisor, the mid-level supervisor, what did the upper management, you know, and it stems all the way up up the ladder and then all the way back down that if she knew there was a guard that was supposed to be in place, why didn't she raise that red flag and say, Hey, I can't work on it. So the guards off, um, you know, and, and just understanding that. And then maybe having a, a checklist of some sort, you know, you know, we're engineering the guard's supposed to be on, but then the admin controls before she gets down to her PPE and then gets hurt. Um, and I'm you know, that, that's a big thing. This, right. Because, Again, you're putting the onus on the frontline worker, presuming that they are in a position of power to speak up. And yeah. is and that I, really fair? Yeah. Like, I can tell you right now from working in that environment, if you speak up, you don't get any hours. Sure. So how is that person supposed to now feed their family, right? So. Yeah. We go around and we say, you have the right to refuse work. You have the right to all these things. But are we really balancing that with the actual climate that people are working in? And what are they able to actually have voice around? Yeah, I think it's really easy. It's really easy for us sitting in an ivory tower to say, you, you don't not only have the right, but the expectation to, to stop all work or refuse work. And it's real easy for us to just simplify it in those ways and like, why, why aren't you doing it that way? The, the problem that we have is we have to figure out what the culture is and what, um, 
what's occurred in the past when somebody has done that mm -hmm. and then address management and supervision on that practice of, you know, they, they have to be in line and they have to understand that if they're not in line, then it, they're going to continue to have these incidents. They're going to continue to have these problems and it's going to continue to, to, they're going to continue to struggle and they're going to continue to have injuries. And yeah. so that's got to be, you know, addressed immediately. And it's also about how do we change the conversation and the value of that mid-level management around safety? Because I have noticed in the years that I have been in safety, that that middle level management, they can really influence whether safety practices become a habit or are integrated into the work, or if they just brushed off. Like I remember one time in the store where two employees were actually doing ladder safety properly. One person was holding it while the other person was up, changing out a sign. They were doing it beautifully, just as they were trained. And then I watched as a assistant store manager came by, looked at them, and, and then the one who was doing the spotting, holding the ladder, saying, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Go do something else. Now, the, the manager didn't know that I was around because I was doing my audit and I was looking at different things. And I so I, I noticed this, right? And so yeah. then... I casually, when I, when I had an opportunity, because you don't go head to head with somebody. You don't embarrass other people in public. It's not my style. I know other people have different styles. But when I had an opportunity, you know, I listened a little bit and then I kind of come around and I, and I, I praised the, the worker. I said, oh, great. I'm so glad to see you guys are doing proper ladder safety. That's amazing, right? Yeah. And then the assistant yeah. manager was just kind of like, uh yeah that's right they're they're using ladder safety but i caught him i caught him red-handed telling the staff you're wasting time wow. holding that ladder so i go back to you when you say it's the worker's behavior and i challenge that because what we're seeing is the outcome we're seeing the end result and my frustration that really makes me mad is how everybody is hopping on and doing the outcome and you know what? You're not looking for your leading indicators. We're your leading indicators to see what's actually going on in that environment, right? I yeah. found my leading indicator when I overheard that manager. And yeah. in the appropriate way of that environment, that organization, I arranged a meeting with that manager in the superior to discuss what I saw happen. Not in front of the employees where I'm embarrassing him, Mm -hmm. but in a private meeting and just laid it out and said, listen, if that's your attitude, then don't be surprised when people have injuries. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. This is my passion area. So if I can, no, no, oh, no, no, it, it's great. It, it is great. You know? and, and, and the biggest thing, and like you said, you know, we're, I definitely go and, and bat for the worker when he gets hurt. I give him the benefit of the doubt. And again, we hold those mid-level supervisors to a certain expectation. We hold upper management to a certain expectation. And, and when somebody gets hurt, I don't blame the worker. You know, I usually blame myself because he got hurt on my watch. And what did I not look or what did I oversee or where did my human error come into play for this individual to, to get hurt? 
And then we go back and figure out, you know, maybe he skipped a step in, in, in the admin process or maybe there shouldn't have been a, a different engineering control that could have been put in place that we didn't think about in the pre-planning stage. Um, so I'm very passionate about, about it as well. Um, but figuring out how to get that mid-level supervisor, I think that's a really big push uh, right now, getting the mid-level supervision uh, to come in with a safety mindset to change a safety culture and then coming back and going to the, to the corporate level and, and getting the corporate execs and, and, you know, your, your upper classmen in a sense to understand that safety is going to benefit rather than it's just another added extra cost. I think that that's the age old struggle of anybody that's ever been in safety is, is, uh, profitability or production versus versus safety and it could be as simple as just not wanting your guy to hold a ladder because he could be better suited to be doing something else or it could be uh let's skip this lockout tag out process because it's quicker and it's faster and you know nobody's ever gotten hurt doing it anyway so we might as well you know why are we taking all this extra time to to find locks and put them where they're supposed to go and you know it, it, it's it's probably a been one of the main struggles of anybody in safety since safety was invented what you know I'm probably sure there was a caveman that wasn't um, too happy with the other guy taking too much time to make that first wheel you know hey if you just roll it it'll it'll roll just fine you know it'll be a little bumpy but we'll get there uh so I think we all we all struggle with that while we're in safety and and I don't have that that solve and that fix for it I can say what's worked for me in the past and it doesn't necessarily work everywhere. And it's communication. It's, it's getting, getting in front of those, those uh, top level management people and just trying to explain to them what the cost of an incident really is versus, you know, when, when you can talk numbers, that's generally what, what they understand, but you have to do it quick. You've got, you, you maybe have a minute and a half of, of their attention. So if you can put it all on a one page real quick and go this, 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 and this, and this is what I'd like to do. Um, normally you can get that pretty quick, but you got to do it fast because they don't have much time for it. Yeah. One, one um, thing that did work for me in one environment was um, I had a director who was quite the safety champion. It was very, very important. And so we had a discussion where I would start letting him know about the managers and supervisors who were doing things safely. Mm -hmm. And then he would give them public kudos. Yeah. And it was incredible how that really helped change the environment because he would just walk up and say, oh, yeah, you know, I heard that you guys were doing this and, and you were doing this. And he would talk about what was being done safely, was actually having those conversations about the, the practices, the safety practices they were doing. So the other staff also became aware of what the safety practices were. And then giving them kudos yeah. about how great it was that this got back to him and he wants more of that. And that really helped change the, the mindset of different management because they wanted that um, regional director's approval too, right? Sure. Yeah. And yeah. so it's really driving into what is that driver for those middle management? Yeah. And I think, you know, one of my mottos and I've shared, I've shared it ad nauseum and on LinkedIn is you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if you take that time to look for those positives and really 
push those out to the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones want to be recognized that way as well. And you'll, you'll start to see a culture shift um, by just that focus. That doesn't mean we ignore the issues. It doesn't mean that we don't try to resolve and be a little reactionary to the, when the incidents occur. But if our, you know, I think that your percentages are probably need to be more 80, 20, um, 80% talking about the things that are positive and things are going well. And then uh, uh, 20%, how do we fix this? And, you know, this is an, uh, we need to get resolved. Yeah, and the biggest, the biggest push, uh, you know, to, to your question of, you know, how do we get that mid-level uh, management? A lot of times the mid-level management is one of the guys that's been doing it for a while. He shows good production numbers and they put him in that mid, mid-level management position. Well, now he has to be trained on a whole nother different level. Now it's not about putting in numbers. Now it's about taking care of the men that you're watching over. You know, like if somebody, I remember working in the steel industry, one of the mid-level supervisors just got promoted. He ended up getting hurt while he was a worker and ended up, you know, getting shown a different way and trained a, a certain way. But when he became the mid-level manager, he ended up having to go through more safety training and understood a lot more and learn from that that experience of him being hurt while he was a worker. Mm-hmm. So he took it to heart, and then that was able to resonate through his crew that he was running, which they, you know, were were the safety champions and ended up being my safety committee um, wow. in, at the, in the steel shop, yeah. And, and really, you know, I, I would promote and, and would love to see the change of mindset that middle management is kind of a guardian in the workplace. Yes, they help to delegate tasks and um, ensure that processes and production is being done, but I I think there also needs to be that human level of guardianship for those who are employed by you. You're renting their time, right? While people are at work, you're really renting people's time. So be respectful and take care of your humans. Yeah. It's it's a weird thing when you say it out loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, and you're, you're absolutely dogs right. And cats better. Yeah, no, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, one of the biggest mottos that I've used and I told I would tell all the employees and person that I've worked with that you don't have a job because of the safety guy. The safety guy and gal have jobs because of you. Mm-hmm. We're here to support you, and we're that support factor. And I tell the mid-level management uh, and the supervisors, think of it that way, that mm-hmm. you are now overseeing and taking care of all these little you know, areas and individuals, and you have to make sure that you communicate with each one. And they all have different personalities. They all have different things going on in their lives. But if you're able to go that step further and get into their life on a, on a one-on-one personal level, they'll come to you and say, hey, I, I'm having a problem with this. I don't think this is safe. And then guess what? Now you can correct it before they get hurt. Yeah, yeah. I like to joke, you know, um, my little joke is if the whole senior executive team, even the CEO didn't come to work for a month, nobody would notice. But if the whole front line decided not to come to work for a month, everybody would notice. You know, so that should make a big statement to everybody. I think 
Yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. I think that there is a, um, there is a, there is a noticeable difference when somebody in the front line is missing versus somebody in the, the front office, a decision maker, because a decision maker can make a decision from anywhere, but a front line guy is, is our, is really truly that boots on the ground person. And we, we struggle to remember that sometimes. And, uh, you know, one of the, one of the things I love about some companies, what they do is they do a safety banquet instead of in lieu of like holiday parties and then anything like that, it's division based, it's just a safety banquet. And it's not about numbers. It's not about, uh, the, the upper management and what they did. It is strictly a celebration of the workers and, and how they brought us to new levels of success because of their safe work and because of the, the time and effort that they put in and, and, you know, reward them and let them, let them have that, that night of, of, you know, celebrate me a little bit and, and we, you know, really dig in and do that. I, I love having, seeing those things. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And I'd like to piggyback on that idea too, Jason, is, you know, also um, provide initiatives so that your workers, your, your workers, your frontline workers can be empowered and take the lead. We don't always need to be in control and know everything and be the one who's always there. Um, I remember that I had a real struggle with um, people in, in the retail lighting the pizza oven pilot. And it's a commercial oven. It's really yeah. dangerous for, for many reasons. And we were really trying to get the workers to understand why this was important. And they would come back with, well, I like the pilot stove at home. I like my barbecue. Like, it's not a big deal. And I, then I had a, a neighbor who actually worked for the gas company. And, you know, I was at the barbecue and I was having a little bit of a frustration and, and sharing him with him this, that, you know, yeah. I'm really having a stumbling block. And he's like, well, what if I came and I talked to them? Yeah. And I was like, sure, why not? <laughs> what, what harm could it make, right? So I, I set it up with him and I said, you guys, this is special for your department only. He's going to come in and he's a gas guy and he's going to talk to you about gas in the pizza oven. And it's just for you because you guys are special and you use this. Well, all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're special and we get the special gas guy coming in, right? Yeah. The guy was in the store for an hour and a half. And people from all over the store were coming in um, from different departments and asking him questions. And then <laughs> afterwards, the um, some of the staff in that that department created a little committee where if they had questions, people could, could contact him and ask questions and, and they would be sharing out information that he had given them, especially for them, not for wow. being a safety person, right? And, um, and they kicked off this, this little committee about knowing how to handle gas in the wow. And I just backed away. He's like, oh, can we do this? I'm like, absolutely, go for it. And they ran that little committee themselves. No, I, I, I 100% agree. I think bringing out, bringing in a third party 
uh, opens the minds of, of the people in a way that, you know, the talking heads at the company can't necessarily do. Uh, and, and then maybe they'll run and they'll, they'll start a committee like, like your guys did, you know, and, but talking about incentivizing, it kind of reminded me, we got to be very careful on what we choose to incentivize. I'll, I'll give you a great example as one of the safety gifts for a company that I worked for, they gave, um, uh, waterless hand sanitizer, the alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. Welders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably somebody didn't put much thought into that before they gave them. And and the crazy part is, is nobody even noticed except for the welders. They were like, you know, this says flammable, right? Like I'm a welder. <laughs> I probably shouldn't use this. So, but I do agree that bringing in a third party is uh is really important and I, you know that's that's kind of I, I think our little uh you know the safety justice league thing that we got going on is kind of like trying to be uh, that third party uh to to address some questions that people might have that they they can't necessarily address to their safety team or maybe they don't have a safety team and they could ask that and then they're going to get you know uh four professionals answering that question along with probably a guest so it's really, you know, that, that's the idea is to bring value from the outside that they may not be able to get from the inside. And that's exactly what you did with the gas, man. And I think you pointed out a very good um, issue is some places don't have a health and safety person. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to be more mindful about that just because we're working in an environment and an organization that is wealthy enough to have that role that's not commonplace for a lot of companies. Yeah. Right. Right. That, that is correct. And that, that's one of the reasons, you know, why I, one, I started the podcast, uh, two, I support everything that, you know, that's going on, on on LinkedIn. I try to support everybody, but any kind of piece of content that I can put out there, little insights and information for those people that don't have a safety pro or don't have, you know, somebody they can turn to for guidance and, and, and direction or, you know, coaching, training uh, you know that that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing obviously mm -hmm. you know it, it's cool and I have a pretty cool radio voice but um, <laughs> it's it, it's it's definitely to get the reach out there for the the individuals and the company some of the companies that end up listening uh, to to reach out and say hey could you help me with X Y and Z yeah and I think that that's a I think that's really uh, a key component Pedro you do it you do it well um, I, I think a lot of the safety people do it well in, on LinkedIn, especially, but accessibility, mm -hmm. you know, you can't be, you know, if anybody's listening to this podcast and you don't have a safety department or anything like that, find a safety person on LinkedIn and ask them the question. If they don't know, guess what? They're going to ask somebody and they're going to, they're going to get you connected with the right person. Uh, you know, there's, so much knowledge on LinkedIn in the safety world. I mean, sales and everywhere else is, as well. If that's if that's what you're looking for, answers is what you know for those things. But we're, they're listening to a safety podcast, so they're probably seeking some safety help. Uh, but you know, ask somebody. Just just shoot somebody a message real quick, or or respond to one of their posts and say, "Hey, can you send me a quick message? I've got a question." And I, I've yet to, I've asked a lot of people a lot of questions and not one time has anybody ever said, ah, man, go for it. Look it up. Go yeah, look it up. Yeah. Well, you don't have an OSHA book. You know, I mean, they've never done that. And so I, I think that that's really 
a, a key bit of advice for anybody who, who might be looking for that help, you know, reach out, reach out. You can reach out to me. Yep. Or I'll, all, I'll all of us. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. And I, and I think Jason, that's a very good point <clears throat> is like safety professionals. We are a community and we're yeah, a community absolutely. of people that will always step up immediately to either help you or find somebody else who can help you. And often it will admit if we can't, Yeah. you know, um, like I, I won't, I won't say something to somebody if I'm not a hundred percent confident in what I'm sharing with you. But what I will do is help search out somebody else who's in that industry and has more experience and knowledge. And so that's a really great thing about our community. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's, I think it's unique. I think it's a unique uh, characteristic of the safety community versus some other communities that, that might be represented on social media, because I think, you know, there's, there shouldn't be any, any secrets in safety. Uh, and I, and I know that most, a lot of people have, have phrased that in the past. I don't, I mean, I, I can understand industry uh, trademarks and, and the importance of keeping certain processes um, secure so that they're not being used in other places. But I don't think safety ever falls under under that, that heading. And I, so I, I would be hard pressed to imagine there would be a safety person that wouldn't provide a blank form if you don't have a lockout tag out form or you know if you don't have a, a fall protection checklist and and another person another company does that they wouldn't provide that for you if you needed it so you don't have to make something from scratch you know there's 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 r&d in the sciences and then there's r&d in safety which r&d and safety just rip off and duplicate so uh you know that's it's all it's all in how you work it somebody once told me when i first got into safety plagiarism is the best form of flattery so the, the, the best way to, to learn is to see what everybody else is doing and ask those questions. And I was always told coming from a military background as well, that, you know, there is no dumb question mm -hmm. except the one that's not asked. So, yeah. you know, again, reach out to whoever you need to reach out for those that are listening to the podcast. If you need help, don't be afraid to, to reach out to anybody uh, on the social media. We will come across it, you know, hit one of us up on the social media, yeah. uh, you know, and if we don't have the answer, we'll definitely know some people that do. So mm -hmm. for sure. And I would even put the challenge out there to all safety professionals, you know, let's be kind to one another. If we are seeing somebody <laughs> who may not be doing it a hundred percent the way we would do it, let's err on maybe they don't have the, the same background and experiences and knowledges that we've collected through our career. So how can we share that in a positive way? Because one thing for me as a community developer is, is for, I really want the safety community to be a place where people can be sharing um, in a safe way if they don't know something, instead of going on a thread and, and being called derogatory terms, let's, let's change that thread so that we're being positive. And then the next person who comes and reads the thread they're actually getting some value add knowledge that they can then take also because these threads live here. So we can either make a choice of, of filling those threads up with our, our knowledge and our gifts mm -hmm. or something that is a waste of time for people to just say, Oh, another one just to kind of 
look at once and and never share again like i was talking to you pedro about wanting to start using the hashtag um ehs community yeah so that when we're posting stuff that's educational and sharing our knowledge jason people <laughs> in our community are actually able to to know put in that this hashtag and yeah. then this is where our safety community is yeah, I think I think hashtags are, are a really important part of, of LinkedIn social media as a whole. Um, I, I do want to kind of jump back real quick and piggyback off of some of the things you said about the choices of posts and the the, the comments that sometimes come from those. Uh, there's a lot of assumptions made in some comments that uh, maybe the PPE requirements in that facility or the facility you normally work in are the PPE requirements everywhere. And that's not always going to be the case. So before you immediately jump into somebody who's taking a picture, you know, in, in a facility or at a facility or, or in a classroom setting or whatever, mm -hmm. don't immediately put your requirements on them. As if they're they're not meeting their own requirements. They know their requirements. They that's why they're you know that's why they're doing what they're doing there. And I think you know the the other side of it, not just you know, I've dealt with this because I, I come from a refinery and oil plant and chemical plant background, and so they're very rigorous in relation to their safety rules and regulations, and they normally exceed OSHA's regulations. And so you know you'll have a lot of companies that that the Exxon rules are now OSHA rules. Um, so they're, they're, you'll, you'll go and talk to them, about, well, OSHA says we need to ground all this equipment at within a minimum of 10 foot or what? No, no, show me. Show me where it says that in OSHA and I'll, I'll be more than happy to, and we can address that. And they're like, well, I can't find it. You're right. You can't find it because <laughs> it's not there. But I will show you in, OSHA, in Exxon's policies and procedures where it says that and while we're here, we're going we're gonna to follow that because it exceeds uh, OSHA, and that's what we're going to follow because we're in their facility. So you got to be really careful when you throw out the, you're not wearing the right stuff, or OSHA says this. Yeah. Check those things a little bit before you immediately start commenting that way. Yeah. And, the, and to piggyback on that, Jason, also is not everybody lives in the United States. I'm up here in Canada, <laughs> and yeah. OSHA is not what we follow. Yeah, we were absolutely. here in Ontario. It's the the Ministry of Labor for Ontario. And it's the Occupational Safety Health and Safety Act. That's what we do here. So, yeah. quite frankly, I have no idea what OSHA says because it's not a tool that I use to do my job. And I think we need to be respectful about that because we can also be learning so much. Like what my like what does your occupational act say in this area? Oh, really? Yeah. Great. What does yours say? You're over in England. They have a different one over there. Yeah. Even in Canada, which I, I'm not sure if it's the same. I'm, I don't think it's the same in the States. But even in Canada, different provinces have different occupational safety acts. <laughs> so even just being mindful that just because somebody's speaking from one country and they say two different things, it doesn't mean that both of those people are wrong. It just means their regional areas are using different legislations. Well, I think everybody needs to understand that we are very centralized in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that it just, we, we, the rest of the world knows a lot more about 
what the United about the United States the United States knows about the rest of the world. And that's just we are very uh, and not I'm saying we as in a euphemism, but the the idea I think that we all need to do better at that from especially those of us that are in the states to understand that you know what not everything is done this way i I mean even if you're in california it's it's a whole different OSHA than it is for the rest of the federal government OSHA so yeah. you just got to be aware of where you're at and and I think that's part of what I was saying earlier about why it's so important not to immediately jump to conclusions mm-hmm. that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're throwing rocks and they live in a glass house and blah 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 you don't know what their requirements are there so take that time and go hey what are y'all's PPE requirements there I noticed that you're not wearing this that's really cool I want to work in a plant like that that would address the issue, but at the same time, wouldn't address it in a derogatory way. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, LinkedIn, <laughs> come on, people. It's called social media for a reason. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I think that if somebody takes a quick picture, good for you for doing a photo. I'm just starting to get into video. And one of the reasons is I don't feel comfortable showing myself on video. So I'm pushing myself with you guys to get out there and start doing video. And every, like Pedro, you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, you know, we're not all like video TikTok superstars like Jason here. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And, you know, it, it, but, but Jason, how did you break through that video barrier? Cause we want to know. Um, I've, I've been doing, I've been doing speaking since like junior high. Um, so, and, and through high school, I was like president over like large groups of like 6,000 kids at meetings and things like that. So I've been talking for a long time in big groups. So when I, when I, when there's a camera, I don't really look at it as much different than just people in front of me. Um, most of the time, what you're seeing is you're probably seeing the 20th take of you know so you're seeing an outcome of of multiple issues just be you and that's that that is going to be the biggest success maker that you can possibly think of is just being yourself in the video yeah no i like that ending advice just be you and that like for me with my podcast um at first you know different people were giving me their opinions about what a podcast should be And it just never fit. And that's why in my podcast, I have people having conversations about whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. Because that's just me. (laughs) Oh, and that same thing, you know, I, the, the two episodes that I put out previous to my interview with uh, a very close friend, Kurt Brandon, who's a, you know, active, avid outdoorsman. um, You know, it was just quick insight. One, the almighty JSA you know, or the pre-test plan. I yeah. did that. And then the next one was a, a dive into the OSHA quick takes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the OSHA website, just putting out that value and knowledge out there. And mm-hmm. uh, I did a couple of uh, mishaps and, and didn't record when I started recording and <laughs> talking and I didn't hit record. So I had to come back and do it all over again. But again, just being you, being, being unique, being genuine, um, being able to to bring value in that way, and it's it, it comes from you, that person that they're watching is you. It's not some you know somebody else that you're trying to be, 
it's going to come straight from the heart. And, you know, that's what I hope to, to accomplish with this podcast. And I'm, I'm very glad to have both of you on the show. I, I greatly appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me, Peter, for sure. Yeah, no, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Pedro, it was really great that we could mesh the safety with purpose and the X Factor of Safety podcast together today. Um, I really hope that we can do it again. It was a lot of fun to have everybody on one show and just kind of really dig in and talk about different topics. Yeah, and, I, and this is a great, you know, collaborative podcast. I, I, I like the fact that we did two podcasts as well. And, and again, I hope to do it again sometime, uh, having a different guest. And it was good having, you know, Jason Lucas on the show. Uh, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, absolutely. If people are interested in the Safety with Purpose, that's uh, safetywithpurpose.com. And you can see the um, my podcast there. And Pedro, where's yours? Uh, mine is the X Factor Safety Podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can find it on uh, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Awesome. And we'll put those links in, in the notes below also so people can access them.